Last week we started a conversation and I wanted to just pick up on the thread of thought that we began. And the question we were engaging with last week was, what does it mean for us to become the beloved of God? It would be clear to me as an individual who's walked with Jesus for 33 years now that it's God's intentionality to bring us to a deeper and deeper place of that revelation. And uh, tonight I want to just take you on a little adventure through some of the things I've learned across that 33 years. For me, my relationship with God is not about um, the things that I do. The things that I do are an outworking of the person I've become. Um, There was a time when I lived outside relationship with God and didn't have any desire or indeed inclination to do good. But actually, through the working of Christ in my life, the revelation of the goodness of God, I actually find myself turning up in places like this. There would have been a time in my life I would never have darkened the door of a place like this. The kind of people that would attend places like this were, well, they'd put the fear of something into me. I wasn't sure it was God. But what happens to you when you are born again and you begin to have this incredible adventure of discovering who God is and recognizing who you are in relationship to him is that you end up hanging out with people that you probably wouldn't have chosen. Is that not true? You end up doing things that you certainly would never have dreamt possible at any point in your life. I mean, how many of us want to give our money away? I mean, without the compulsions of the Holy Spirit and the recognition of the the beloved state of our lives, because God is so good and kind and generous and benevolent to us, we probably wouldn't, out of a natural inclination, give anything to anyone, specifically money. But we can't get enough of trying to be generous because our hearts overflow with the most incredible sense of God's goodness and his greatness and his kindness and his just profound love for us compels us to be generous. And uh, some of us, we'd like to think we're naturally generous, but actually natural generosity has a limit. Supernatural generosity has no limits. And we want to give our lives away, give our hearts away, give ourselves away to the purposes and the plans of God. We want to see his kingdom extended. So our beloved experience with God not only causes us to hang out with people that ordinarily we wouldn't hang out with, it causes us to do and act and respond in ways that actually if we were left to our own devices, we probably wouldn't do. And here's another dynamic of that beloved state, is we start to believe somehow in the adventure with God, that we have a purpose, that God somehow has something unique, specifically marked out for us. As we serve him, love him, delight in him, we get to explore what that looks like. And for me, I'm still surprised after all these years that I have ended up in the ministry. I remember conversations with God many, many years ago, arguing over that particular fact, because for me, looking from the outside in, ministers looked old, they always looked poor, And I have become the very caricature of everything that I had hoped I never would. But the reality was it wasn't the the posture or the clothing or indeed the age of a minister that actually frightened me the most. It was the thought that you would be standing in a place of responsibility where you would be called by God to say some things that may bring people into relationship with him and to offer some things that you've discovered about him. And that's a huge responsibility and I don't take that lightly. And I know anyone who stands in this pool but certainly wouldn't either. But actually, can you imagine it? There I was, a 
caravan living, club singing individual. And God broke into my world and began to reform a new reality for me, a kingdom of joy and love and peace and delight and hope and expectation began to come as a result of his abiding presence in my life. And I love the fact that he always changes us from the inside out. There is something in the church sometimes where we get caught up with conformity. We think if everybody's doing the right thing at the right point in their lives, we think that really brings transformation. But real transformation is an inside job. It comes as a result of revelation. It comes out of understanding who God is and loving him and enjoying him and sharing that love with people around him, around you and him. So I believe that for us, the most glorious and incredible um, adventure we can go on is the one of discovering who we are in God and who God is for us. And uh, tonight I want to take you a little bit nearer to some things that I have been working on and trying to live in and indeed very much desiring to, um, to bring to a place in my own life where I actually think God can use them extensively. If I was to tell you that when Jesus took the bread, he broke it, gave thanks to his Father in heaven and shared it, there were some principles there that for me have become the very essences of how I choose to live my life. And uh, I know that, that for many of us here tonight that those things are familiar words and they've come to us uh, at times when we're standing around the communion table or we're in a place where we're actually trying to work through repentance and connecting with God. But actually, I think what Jesus was offering us was something far more than that. And um, my computer's crashed, so I'm just going to waffle for a little bit. Is that okay? So you didn't even notice. I shouldn't have told you. I shouldn't have told you. You wouldn't have noticed any difference. Who said that's nothing unusual anyway? I heard you. Um, the Last Supper, when Jesus gathers his disciples together in Luke, he takes the bread, he gives thanks to his Father in heaven, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. And I want to talk to you about four aspects of being the beloved that I believe are based around those truths. The first thing I want to suggest to you is that we have been taken. Where there was any doubt concerning God's affection for us, we now come to a place of clarity and reality and certainty that God actually desires us so much more intensely and intently than we ever could have imagined. You, if you're a Christian here tonight, you, if you're not yet a Christian here tonight, are the desire and the passion of God. And he wants to take you. He has chosen you. He has chosen you. And our chosenness is something, I believe, of an adventure for us. I don't know if you were like me, but at school, I was never chosen for anything. I remember whenever the sports used to take place, I was the very last person that anybody would have. And it was more of a default choice than an actual choice. It's sad, I know, don't cry, it gets worse. But you know, I'd hang around for ages waiting to be chosen. I used to pray, even as a child, that maybe somebody would choose me in, in, the, in the sports team. But I was so lousy at sports and so incapable of engaging in competition. I've never been very good at competition. I actually was never chosen. And, and if I was chosen, I was the one that looked after the coats while everybody else played the games. 
But being chosen for me is highly significant to the relationship that has begun between me and the Lord. He chose me. Of all the peoples and all the places and all the parts of the world, he came into my life. He chose me. He chose me in the midst of a very broken reality. He chose me when nobody else was even interested in looking at, let alone choosing me. He came into my world when I had no interest, in fact, a disinterest in spiritual things, and he revealed his heart and he opened up my mind and my soul and my spirit to an invitation where I recognized that I was chosen by him. Your chosenness is really the beginning and I think the incredible passionate entry point for us all in what it means to be the beloved of God. In a world so full of rejection and abandonment, hurt and pain, where people so often disregard other people, we're guilty of it ourselves. To think that God is an intentionality, had been looking for you from the foundations of the earth. He knew your address, he knew your circumstances, he knew your problems, and he knew the promises that he'd placed within your heart and life, and he came in pursuit of you. He has chosen you. Now, if that doesn't make your heart sing a little, then something's not right. Because to be chosen by God, to be chosen by the one who is perfect, even though I am so completely broken, actually is quite mind-blowing. I often wonder, what is Simon that God would be even mindful of him? You know, I'm not the best conversationalist. I certainly haven't got the greatest intellect. And as far as capacity and talent is concerned, I'm lacking considerably. But the God who is bright and glorious, spectacular and majestic, has come into my world and chosen me. His affection for me has just been the most rewarding experience that my heart could ever, ever engage with. And to live in the reality of my chosen state, to be taken by him fully, to allow that chosen glorious invitation from God to become an abiding presence and indeed person, which is Jesus Christ for me, is just the most profound and glorious experience. I am undone for anything else. And you know, when I first came to the Lord, I came out of a very difficult background and people would often say to me, you know, why don't you go back to the life you were leading? Well, it's very difficult to go back to something that has no effect on you when the affection of God is so powerful and glorious and, and spectacular to you that there's, I mean, Peter said these words, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. You are chosen by God. And for us to live under our chosen reality, we have to start undoing some of the lies that actually have been said around us and some of the things that have affected our concept of what it is to be chosen. Because the world has taught us that we don't amount to very much. The world has educated us that actually, as far as talent and and um, gifts and all of those things are concerned, we're probably not up there with Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. But our chosenness is not based on our talent. Our chosenness is utterly based on God's goodness. His perfect goodness has chosen us to live in a loving relationship where I can abide in the reality and certainty that I am beloved in his sight. God delights in you. He enjoys your company. I mean, I'm not so keen about some of you, but he, 
He enjoys your company. He loves to be with you. He loves to hang with you, as we would say. He loves just to have friendship and fellowship and connection with you. You are a chosen person. Taken. Taken in the sense that we're separated by that love. That God's jealousy over our lives has separated us unto himself. Can you imagine really how profound that is? To live in the favor of God and the affection of God. Now, some people say that that's, you know, not the penultimate or most glorious revelation, but actually I think the church grows far more spectacularly when we start to understand how gloriously we're loved. You know, we sing our songs, don't we? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. And we can sing that theology, but actually to live with the reality of that theology is going to take a little intentionality on our behalf. You and I have been handpicked, chosen. God is passionately desiring a deeper and most glorious relationship with you. And I want to live in that in every moment of every day of my life. Now, some people think I'm naive to even expect that or to suggest that that's possible. But actually, I believe that Jesus lived with that kind of clarity. No matter what the world said about him, he knew he was the beloved son of God. No matter what was thrown at him in circumstances or situations, trials or persecutions, it didn't alter his sense of connectivity with the father and indeed his identity as a son. He knew he was at the center of the affection of the father who delighted in him. In fact, his intimacy was so profound, he only did what he saw the father doing. Can you imagine living in a world where you're just out of that intimacy and out of that beloved state, the world around you does not affect the way you live, the way you think, the way you act, and the way you respond. If you are indeed the beloved of God, it needs to be more than just a song we sing. It needs to be a reality in him every day and in every way possible. So one of the greatest challenges to that for me is when I first became a Christian, um, I felt for the first time in my life accepted. You know, the Bible says that we're accepted in the beloved. I was accepted by God. I'd spent my life looking for acceptance. I tried just about anything and everything. I did all kinds of things to be accepted. I worked exceptionally hard to be good at some things so that some people might think I had value and worth. But actually in the core of my being, there was a deep, deep disconnect from the reality that I had any value or significance. Because as a child, my father had rejected me quite severely. And it wasn't even the words he said. In fact, there weren't very many words. There were a few movements of hand, but it was more the way he looked at me. He looked at me with utter disgust. I was not who he wanted me to be. I didn't measure up. I didn't have the same orientations he had as far as fighting and everything else was concerned. I was very sensitive and creative. And my father was a big Irish farmer. And so he looked at this little, what he would have thought as a pitiful son. And he had the, a disdain for me that was so profound and so evident that I have spent most of my life trying to be healed from it. And since I've come to Christ, I've realized that he couldn't give me what he didn't have. It's only God who can accept us unconditionally in that manner. But coming to Christ really, really transformed my sense of self because I was consistently brought into this affection of God, enjoying his presence. I felt God say some wonderful things over my life. 
And I began to get free and I began to get whole and I began to see myself differently and consequently see the world around me differently. But of course, when you go home, there's another reality that you have to contend with. And I remember one night going to my father, having some kind of knowledge that in some senses, some of that rejection and that the deep places of my heart and life was connected to this very poor relationship. And I asked him to forgive me. Well, in my mind, this had played out somewhat differently. In my mind, I thought he would hug me and kiss me and tell me he'd always loved me. And, you know, he was sorry for anything he'd said. And I'd sorry for anything I did. But actually, he just hit me. He just hit me away from him and was irritated by that. And I had a moment, and it was a moment of clarity. Will I believe the lie that I see in front of me? Will I believe the anger on my father's face? Will I believe the disgust that was so visible and tangible in his interactions with me? Or will I believe that I am a beloved son of God, that I am held in the palm of his hand? Which truth... Which truth will be the truth that I will adopt? And you know, just about every day in our lives, the world around us is telling us all kinds of lies about who we are. It has a propaganda about you. It started before you were even born, maybe in some cases. And we've spent most of our lives trying to wriggle free from what the world tells us is a reality about us. You're not good enough. You're not capable. You're not clever enough. You're not beautiful enough. In my case, you're not thin enough. Of course, I am beautiful enough. And right in the midst of it, there is a truth so profound, so perfect, so life-changing, so world-transforming for you. And that is simply this, that you are the beloved of God. You are his beloved children. He has chosen you. From the foundations of the earth, he has chosen you. You were always his choice. You were his first, his second, and his last choice. He delights in you. He rejoices over you with singing, and he quiets you with his love. He is perfectly and most gloriously available for you so that you can live in the reality of being the beloved of God, a chosen person. So Jesus took the bread. He chose a piece of bread. The second thing I want to just highlight to you is this that he blessed the bread. He gave thanks to his Father in heaven. I'm sorry, I've lost my computer altogether here. And I want to talk to you about the second dynamic of living as the beloved of God. It's great that we know that we're chosen. From the peoples of the earth, God has hovered by his Spirit and caught your heart and caught your attention. And now you're on this glorious adventure of realigning yourself consistently in your thinking and in the way you respond day by day to every circumstance. No, 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 no. I'm not believing that lie. I am the chosen. I am the chosen child of God. I'm living in affection. I'm living in abundance. What God has to say about me is more true than anything I feel right now or anything anyone else has to say about me. I am not defined by the culture around me. I am actually defined by the God who loves me. That's the truth. But it's not enough just to have that kind of clarity. We need to know that when we're chosen, we're actually highly blessed. You have been blessed in your chosenness. In fact, your chosenness has introduced you to your blessedness. God, in his chosen capacity for you, desiring to reach out to you, not only chose you, his passionate heart is to bless you. 
He desires to bless you. You are blessed because you were chosen. And because you're chosen, you're really blessed. In fact, those two things are kind of hand in hand. They spill into each other. But what does it mean to be blessed? It means to be filled with a real sense and awareness that God's goodness is about to hit my reality just about any moment in any day. To live with that constant state of my blessedness. I am blessed because I am chosen. I have been blessed because he chose me. And you know, I'm not, I'm not going to live with a sense of lack whenever I've been invited to a party that never ends. From everlasting to everlasting is the love of the Lord. He gives to us pressed down, shaken up and overflowing. There is an abundance to our lives now that we didn't have when we were outside of our chosen reality. God has handpicked you, not just picked you for himself jealously, but he's picked you to bless you. He desires to bless you. His affection is so incredible, he can't resist blessing you. Ephesians tells us that we are blessed in the heavenly realms with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You already are positionally blessed by God. And as we step towards our blessed state, we start to download some of those blessings in the way that we live our lives. So how do we abide in the reality that we are blessed? Well, there are two things that I think help me stay in a blessed state. The first one is prayer. I believe that prayer invites me to come away from the noise of the world around me and into an environment where the truth about me is spoken. Prayer takes me away from a culture that tries to define me and brings me into a place where God realigns me with my original design and his purpose and his plan for my life. Prayer is not me reciting loads of things to God because he already knows everything about me. Prayer is about me hearing God, what God has to say about my life, about my reality, about my circumstances and about my truth. Prayer is God positioning me out of affection for me to hear the whispered of his blessed truth regarding me. And I feel that sometimes the enemy loves to put obstacles in our lives concerning prayer. If you are really honest, and I try to be very real about some things, I think one of the biggest battles we face, and we, we, we have lots of battles in our world, but one of the most profound battles I think any Christian faces nowadays is the battle for intimacy. To stay connected to the new reality of who you are in Christ Jesus. That's a real battle. And so it can't be something that we do occasionally. It has to be a posture of heart that actually is more intentional and more desirous to be in God's presence, be defined by that voice rather than live under the voices of the many people who have opinions about the way I live my life. So prayer is really important. Soaking prayer, just allowing myself to marinate in truth. Sometimes I take the scriptures out and I let those truths wash over me. I want to be healed from the fractured lie that very much defined my life. And I want to be brought into a partnership and a harmony with the truth that I am blessed in the Lord. A number of years ago, I was invited to speak at something and I didn't realize before I got there that some of the people that would be there would be people who had some, you know, difficulties emotionally. And as soon as I turned up, 
the person who was hosting this particular event said to me, Simon, you know, just make sure everything's in place for you. Have you got the overhead? So on and so forth. And there was a young lady who was there and she had some uh, mental difficulties. And so she started to, to kind of drag me away from the moment. And um, of course, you know, you're the guest speaker. You want to be compliant with what is, is expected of you. And, and she was very adamant that I would come and I would have a conversation with her. And so I'm chatting with her. I think her name was Emma. And um, she just kept saying, you know, because it was new to her, she was saying, Father Simon, will you bless me? <laughs> Which is nice. I enjoyed that. I thought that was quite affectionate. Father Simon. And um, I was distracted by all of the, the preparations. And I said, you know, yes, I will bless you. And I just said, I bless you in the name of, of the Lord. And she said, no, that's not what I want. And she was really forthright. She said, that's not a proper blessing at all. And so I got up to speak and um, I was speaking away and she was looking at me quite intensely because she obviously didn't get what she had hoped for when she asked to be blessed. And it came to the coffee break. And so she comes straight over for me again. And she said, I want a proper blessing now. None of that nonsense that you said before. I want a proper blessing now. And so I'm, I'm waiting because I'm thinking, well, what could she possibly mean? And suddenly I realized what she, she wanted to hear. And so I just said, Father, I just thank you for this wonderful girl, Emma. I, I prophetically started to see some things about her life. I called those things to the surface. I thank you for her kind heart. I thank you for her boldness in seeking you, Father. I thank you for the joy that just exudes out of her. And I look at her while I'm praying this blessing over her and tears are rolling down her eyes. And uh, she's got her eyes shut and there's tears rolling down her face. And, and she looks up like two thirds into this blessing and she says, that's more like it. That's more like it. Well, her friend who'd come with her actually spotted us. <laughs> and she came over and she said, me next. Me next. And whatever I thought a blessing was, I certainly discovered that day that it's far more than just saying, God bless you. A blessing is an opportunity to speak life over a human heart, to call forth treasure that's been trampled on by circumstance, to align somebody with the reality of who God has created them to be, to speak from a place of hope and joy and expectation. And, and I vowed that day, and it's always a cautious thing to vow, that if anyone ever asked me to bless them, I wouldn't do, you know, the little blessing thing I was doing initially with Emma, that I would take a moment or a second just to consider what God had to say to that individual. Well, you know, years passed and I was invited back to the same place to speak again. And uh, Emma was there <laughs> and she came and she'd brought five friends with her this time. It was going to be a lengthy blessing session. And she said, I brought them all with me, Pastor Simon, because I'd like you to bless us all today. In fact, she wagged her finger, don't you leave here without blessing all of us today. And you know, we, we didn't end up doing the session as we thought. We just spent all our time just blessing one another. So to be blessed is to sit or be postured under the truth, the revelation of God's affection and delight in you. It's not just a theological concept, it can be a reality to us. And there's a washing that comes whenever we hear God speak. So prayer is really vital to staying blessed. We want to live under the atmosphere of the affection of God 
It's a hiding place from the allegations of the enemy. It's a place where the curse is reversed as God begins to translate truth into my soul and into my spirit, where I come to a place of engagement and a place of alignment with who I truly am and the voices stop and the committee ceases and God begins to define my life by his blessed utterances over my soul. You know, when Jesus was baptized, the father said to him, this is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. There was a blessing at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. The father's affection was gloriously poured out over him in a spectacular and public way. And I often think when I think of what it means to be blessed and to sit under the truth of the blessing that we are in uh, the blessing that we have in God. I wonder if Jesus, having heard his father affectionately say his blessing over him was indeed almost like a confident moment that he would use and utilize for the rest of his existence here on earth. I wonder if when he hung on the cross, he was still reflecting back three years prior to that, whenever he heard the father delight in him in a public way. So we want to be in God's company and hear his truth about our reality. And the other aspect of that is just enjoying his presence. Do you know, I don't think that many of us in the West have a conscious reality of God in the ordinary, but I found that he turns up in the most unusual of places. A number of years ago, battling with my own sexuality, I carried on going out to nightclubs, and I remember sitting with someone um, in, in, do you remember wine bars in the 80s? They were very fashionable. <laughs> sitting with somebody in a wine bar, and, and they were trying to disprove that, that the Jesus I was talking about was real. And Straight away, I kind of was a little bit perplexed as to how to respond to that. They were very well educated. They had all kinds of things to say to me. And I just asked the Holy Spirit, you know, Father, what do I say here? And he said, don't say anything. Just wait a moment in my presence until you feel the reality that I'm with you. And, you know, I just waited. I let the, the young lady talk and I just waited. And, and then I felt and discovered that God was actually in the wine bar. See, our theology now is struggling with that, you know, because he does go to places you can't get into. And, you know, as we, as I just enjoyed his presence, this girl could see the affection on my face and she started to cry. She said, what is that? I said, no, it's not a what, it's a who. What you're experiencing is the affection of the presence of God in this moment. You know, there was no need for fancy talk after that. Because she had experienced something of the reality of God's presence. But I find that we don't have a conscious awareness of God in the ordinary. And that's why I think it's written in the scriptures for us to count our blessings one by one. To look for the things that remind us that he's with us. The constant reality that he is highly orientated to turning up in our lives in the most ordinary and sometimes incredible places. I am, um, one more story on this. I was diagnosed as having throat cancer a few years ago. Actually, it was the most horrendous experience because I'd been to the doctor, I'd been leading worship a lot, I had sore throats, and I went to the doctor and asked if they could examine me. And, you know, I, I, I'm being honest with you, when I, the doctor saw me, I thought she was about 13, that girl, I couldn't, for the life of me, understand how she would know anything about medicine. But she began to examine me and she asked me some questions and she, she said, well, you know, I'm a little concerned 
about the conditions that you're, you're kind of disclosing to me. Is it possible that I could call you a little later? I'm going to take some advice from someone. And so I just picked up my daughter from school and we're in the car together and the phone rings. I didn't know who it was. And I answered the phone. It's on the speaker. And she said, this is Dr. whatever her name was. And she said, I'm sorry to tell you, we think you may have cancer. Now, I don't know how I ever expected to have that kind of information, but it wasn't over the car phone. I didn't imagine it would happen like that. So my daughter, now she's about 16, 17, she's just looking at me and she starts to cry. And the lady says to me on the phone, you know, are you okay? I said, I'm fine, thank you. She said, you seem very calm for somebody who's just had that diagnosis. We want to do more tests, but we're fairly confident that that's the case. And I said, okay. I said, well, I am I'm calm. I've kind of been around people with issues like this before. And she said, well, come in straight away tomorrow. We want to do tests on you tomorrow. So I went in the morning and, um, the, you know, prodding and poking and scraping and everything else. And we had to wait for the tests to come back. Well, you know, it was only a three-day turnaround before the test came back. But I think my wife buried me about six times over that three days. You know, all of our conversations were, what would you like at your funeral with the... <laughs> You know, I, I, there's nothing like being prepared, I, you know. Well, I did feel loved because they were upset. Both her and Emily were talking about that. And, and you know, I knew that, that, that I felt I would be okay. I just had a little feeling about that. And uh, we, we went to the hospital to get the results. And uh, thankfully, they were clear. And I decided that I would call in to the garden centre. It was my day off and I liked the garden centre and I called into the garden center. We're talking about the way God seeks to turn up in unusual places to bless you. Okay? And um, I'm in the garden center, and there's a lady passing by. She's looking after the house plants, and I'm, I'm Irish. So I have to say that to qualify this next sentence. I never want to pay full price for anything. I just want you to know for that, that it comes with the territory. Okay? <laughs> So, you know, I, I even go to places like Harrods and say, I know it says that on the label, but here's what I'd like to give you for, for that. I have been known to do that in the past. And if you ever want someone to go shopping with, I'm really good at getting money off things. I just, it's a gift. So I'm in the garden center and there's this plant there and they were reducing them. And so that's my favorite section of the garden center. In fact, it's my favorite section of every shop that I go into. And, and I, I go over towards her and I start talking to the lady, and I think her name was Linda. And I said, how are you? Are you having a good day? Yes, 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 I'm a good day. I said, you're very busy, always busy here. She said, oh, we're always busy here. And uh, I said, how much are the plants? And she said, well, we're only marking them down 10%. I said, no, sorry, I don't think you heard me. How much are the plants, Linda? And she said, well, go on then, you can have that one. Now, once, you know, as an Irishman, you get a yes to a question like that you know that's just the beginning. That's like the fringes of his garment. You know, that's just the beginning. So I said to her, that's wonderful. What about this one? And what about this one? I came away with probably near on, I think probably, would you say, Kate, 500 pounds worth of plants? 500 pounds worth of plants, both inside and out. Because, I mean, if the, if the blessing was happening, it could travel. That's how I worked, you know. So we started inside the house plants. We worked ourselves out to the outside plants. And I came away with 500 pounds worth of plants and I paid 30 pounds for them. Yeah. Sorry, 32 pounds for them. She was a bit tricky over one. A bit tricky over one. And so I, I'm kind of thinking, you know, th this is interesting. God, what's happened here? 
So I'm talking to this lady, Linda, and I say to her, you know, Linda, you're always very happy. And, and she said, yes, I like my job. I said, do you have any idea that what's happened here is really just, it's happened because I walk a walk with Jesus where he wants to bless me. And she said, yes, I do. Should, I used to be a Christian. And I was part of an organization, you may have heard of them, Simon, called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. I said, oh yes, I've heard of them. My wife Jane, she was with me. She's been to YWAM. And she told me this story of how she had gone out to New Zealand um, on, on a YWAM base, went back later to marry this man that she'd met. And when she got there, he was engaged to somebody else. And she said to the Lord, I will never ever darken the door of a church again because you've let me down. And here we are in this moment where this incredible sense of the blessing of God is happening, where God is turning up in a very tangible and real way. And I'm having a conversation with a woman that has been separated from her truest identity for near on 10 or 15 years. And so I have to talk. I have to say something. And so I start to say, do you know, Linda, God loves you so much. I am so sorry that somebody who claims to be part of his family has let you down so desperately. I hope you found it in your heart to forgive him. Because wouldn't it be tragic if you could never move on from that, Linda? Or should I married now? And she said, he's not much better. I said, well, I I said, well you know, <laughs> the trouble with us putting all of our eggs in the basket of relationship is sometimes a few get broken. But I know somebody who will never disappoint you. He'll never let you down. He never goes anywhere. He's always going to be available. And his affection and his love for you is just so profound. And you know, as I'm standing talking with Linda, I could see the Spirit of God turn up on her. God was there in the midst of it. So I come away and I think, gosh, wasn't that strange? I got 500 pounds worth of plants. But as we were leaving, there were these two big trees in the, in the, in the, the, um, atrium area of the entrance and I liked them for a long time because I went regularly and our church had very high ceilings and so I thought well if we're going to operate in favor and the affection of God and the blessing of God let's let's really push it to its fullest extent so I say to Linda you know we'd had this lovely moment where God turned up I said are these trees for sale she said you know this morning I was told that they had to be I said so let's not waste anybody's time here Linda I'll give you 50 quid each for them now, one of the trees was £3,000. That was the, the, the price on the, the pot. And she said, £50? She said, oh, you are cheeky. I thought you were a Christian. I said, I am a Christian. <laughs> I am a Christian. I said, but you know, let's not squabble over that just yet. If you could go and ask your boss if I can have them for 50 quid. So she came back and she was shocked. She said, he said, you could. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now remember, I'm not buying these for my house. They're for the house of God. So we exchanged numbers and I said, you know, perhaps you could uh, call me whenever they're available and I'd organize some transport. She said, oh, we have transport here. I said, how much would it cost? I paid more for the transport than I did for the trees. <laughs> and I'm at the church waiting for them to arrive, and I get this phone call. And um, <laughs> it's not Linda, it's her boss, and he's really apologetic. He said, Mr. Foster, we were trying to get the trees on the back of our truck, and we couldn't get them on the truck, so we're going to have to refund you all the money that you spent, you spent in buying them. 
which was actually only £100 for two of them. I said, well, thank you very much. And then I knew somebody who had a flatbed lorry and he came for free. And because he came for free, <laughs> he was so embarrassed, this man who managed the shop, he paid the petrol of the guy who came for free. So we had the petrol paid for free. We had the plants for free. We had 500 pounds worth of indoor plants for 30 pounds. And she threw in a, a metal atrium, a Victorian atrium, that was only for display purposes, but actually it sits in the hall in my house ever since. And I walk away from it and I think, God, you know, church has never been as exciting as this for me. <laughs> you know, it's great to have the worship and everything, but I can feel that you're turning up in very tangible ways. Now, here's the thing I want to say about this, and I'm laboring this a little bit, and forgive me for that. When you're chosen, you can't help but be blessed. It's the outworking of the chosenness of God's affection for you. Now, you may go to a garden center. In fact, you may not go to a garden center. You may not even like gardening. So the way God is going to show his blessed, glorious affection for you will be vastly different than it would for me. Now, did my wife feel blessed? Absolutely not. Same conversation, same place, same experiences. What is important to, to, to pay attention to here is the unique way in which God seeks to bless us as individuals. And if we have this general feeling about what blessing looks like, we might not understand the unique passion of the Father to show his affection in tiny little ways that seemingly look insignificant to other people, but highly reward your heart and make you feel exceptionally loved and incredibly alive. So it's a good thing to be chosen. Amen? Amen. To be taken by God is affection to overwhelming measure and, and experience and to be blessed by him. And we learn about living in the reality of that blessing where we're intentional about prayer, listening to his voice, allowing him to define a new reality for us. And we're watching for his blessings in just about every part of our life. His spirit will turn up in the most unlikely of places and you'll have the most extraordinary experiences of the blessedness that you have in God. Third thing. Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks to his Father in heaven. He blessed it and he broke it. And I want to talk to you for a minute. I know time is flying. About what it means to live out of your chosenness covered in your blessedness, but very conscious of your brokenness. I think we do everything in our power to hide our brokenness. I mean, we'll even leave a church and travel to the other side of the world to avoid coming to a place of clarity and reality that we might just be a broken individual. We despise brokenness. In a world that's slick and fast, where the elite and the strong and the, the amazing ones always make it to the finish line, it's highly difficult for us to accept our broken state. And yet, without accepting that, we never truly see the fullness of the blessing of God. And we can never really enjoy the incredible affection of what it means to be chosen. You can't separate yourself from your story. Your story is who you have become. 
the scars that you carry, well, they're trophies of grace where God brought affectionate healing and restoration to various parts in your heart. And the years have passed and those moments have gone. And if we're not careful, we live with this glorious denial regarding where we've been and what we've been through. But when you come into the presence of God, your brokenness has to be placed under your blessing. If your brokenness is not placed under your blessing, your brokenness will start to define you. But actually, your brokenness is the way in which you can honestly and vulnerably allow God to minister to you. And our brokenness actually is very healthy for us to pay attention to. And I know that that's not a slick presentation. And I know that some of us in this room think, gosh, Simon, if you knew how long and hard I've been trying to forget my brokenness, actually, I feel Jesus was at his most perfect and powerful when he was at his most broken. And is it not true that the scripture says that in our weakness, his strengths will become visible. Is there not some aspect to us where we have to allow our brokenness to be placed under our blessedness so that we can truly enjoy our chosenness? Your brokenness is part of your identity. You know, I'll tell you this story, and time's flying, and I'm sorry I'm taking too long, but I've lost the computer, so I can blame it. Is that okay? Um, when I was six years old, I was sexually abused by somebody. In many ways, it defined my life. And um, it led me on a trajectory of trying to find who I truly was by a variety of expressions and experiences. For years, I would never talk about that. I wanted to pretend it had never happened. I never spoke to my parents about it. I didn't have any desire to get into conversation with it. And if, if there was anything I wanted to do with it, it was to bury it and to move past it and to not have to go through mentally or emotionally or even in any tangible way what had happened to me. And when I began to get called by God into the ministry, I often wondered if when I was praying for people, some of that pain was affecting the way I perceived people. And I would ask questions of the Lord. How do I move past my pain? And I felt the Lord say to me, Simon, you've got to own your pain. If you don't own your pain, you have nothing to communicate. If you're not real about what's happened to you and discovered me in the midst of it, when you open your mouth, you have no authority. You have platitudes, you have words to speak, but there's no reality, there's no substance, and there's no heavenly authority attached to it. You know, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to at least have taken with me everything that that journey has indeed allowed me to experience. I love this phrase about Jesus. He said, he went to hell and he took captivity captive. I mean, if you're going to go through hell, take everything out of it you can. That's my philosophy. You know, get every upgrade from God you can. Get every, get every insightfulness, get every revelation, get every experience you can out of God. We all go through bad stuff, and bad stuff happens to good people. But when we start to appreciate our brokenness and actually move towards it and hide it under the blessed reality of who we are in Christ, we start to allow the Spirit of God to use our brokenness to bring healing and restoration to others around us. And I don't know about you, but I can always tell if somebody hasn't been through something, but they speak like they have. There is a sound to a heart that has embraced its pain and brokenness that stands 
in the affection of God as the beloved puts their brokenness under their blessedness. There's a sound that comes from their life that's powerful and impactful and penetrating and permissioning to people around them. And in our brokenness, as it's placed under our blessedness, he gives us beauty for ashes. How cool is that? Garments of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And in our broken state under his, under the blessedness of God, overwhelmed by the chosenness, we start to become oaks of righteousness. We start to grow up in stature and strength in the Lord. Don't hide from your brokenness. Don't run from your brokenness. Walk towards it. Place it under the blessed reality of your glorious position in Christ and allow God to start to work in and through those areas of your life so that he can use you effectively. And so he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it. And the final thing, and I'll finish with this, and he gave it to his disciples. The fourth area that I think is important to suggest of what it really looks like for us to be the beloved of God is that our lives become instruments that God can use to help others. Who'd have thought all those years ago that this broken individual would ever stand on a platform? I, I can't believe sometimes that God would allow me to do this. We sing a song at church, and it goes a little like this. I give myself away. Give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. When I know that I know that I know that I'm chosen, and I'm living under the affection of a God who delights in me, when I allow the blessed reality of God's goodness to overwhelm every other truth in my life, when I'm defined by that blessedness, and I start to place my brokenness under my blessedness, I start to see that God gives my life away. And it does not matter whether it's on a tube station platform or on a platform like this. It doesn't matter whether it's somebody that looks very important or somebody who perhaps doesn't think of themselves as that much at all. There's something of an expression and a generosity and a willingness and a capacity to give to others what you have received. And I believe that to be the beloved, we need to know we're chosen and stay in the reality of that we need to accept that we are now so affectionately given by God to a blessed state that our brokenness is not a hindrance. It might even be a help to us as we place it under the blessed state of our new experience in Christ. And then I know that he wants to give our lives to anyone and everyone who is unaware of the affection of God.